0: Hello, I am Dr. Haley Nelson, neuroscientist, psychology professor, and founder of Be Well with Dr. Haley. And today you are listening to with the Relationships and Revenue with, podcast with John Hewlin.
1: This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. Again, so thrilled to have you spend a little bit of your time with me, either listening and or viewing it. And today, as you heard in the intro, I have Dr. Haley Nelson with me today. Dr. Haley, how are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
1: Oh, better than I deserve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So, folks, you heard Dr. Haley talk about herself just a moment ago, and you did hear her say that big, gigantic, sometimes scary word, neuroscientist. That's right. Dr. Haley has a PhD in neuroscience, which is super, super cool, partly because I am a neuroscience geek. It's something I've picked up on in the last few years and I really dig it. So we're gonna dig deeper into what neuroscience is and what all that means. She is a professor as well, but she has also started her own business. It's called Be Well with Dr. Haley. We're gonna talk more about that very soon. And in addition to all of those other things, She works directly with and helps wellness professionals. She helps coaches. She helps counselors. But she has two other titles I think she holds pretty near and dear to her heart, and those are wife and mom. Absolutely. Those are my top two. All right. I'm digging that. So, Dr. Haley, one of the things that I've been telling people as I have prepared for this interview today is I've been telling other people that I'm having an actual neuroscientist on the show. And people are like, okay, that sounds kind of cool if I knew what that even meant. So first of all, let's define that. Will you tell us what neuroscience is and what you do with it?
0: So neuroscience is a very interdisciplinary field. Um, When you think of, if you just break the word neuroscience up, you have science, which everybody should hopefully know what science is. And neuro is short for neuron, right? And these are specialized cells that are found mainly in our brain and spinal cord, but really throughout our body. And what they do is they are a way for cells to communicate with each other. And they do this through electrical properties and chemical properties. Um, So we're actually able to generate electricity in our brain that allows us to do everything that we do from breathing to eating to having a sex drive to being a mother to thinking to reading to having a memory, emotions, everything that we do is because these neurons are able to communicate and create these meaningful connections with each other. Um, There's many different fields of neuroscience and I studied the field of behavioral neuroscience. So the lab that I worked in was looking at more of the control of behavior and also how behavior can in turn change your neuroscience and neurochemistry as well.
1: Oh, my goodness. That's, yeah,
0: <laughs> but it is a scary word. And I get that. I get that a lot. I say, oh, you're an, I can't talk to you.
1: And I'm like, no,
0: I'm going to I'm going to change your vision of what neuroscientists are. <laughs>
1: well, good. We are looking forward to having our preconceived notions blown away. I hope so. All right. But before we get to that part, we want to know a little bit more about you. So do us a favor, kind of go back in time. Give us some of your backstory. How did Dr. Haley end up as Dr. Haley?
0: <laughs> I did not think I was necessarily going to be here. Um, so I grew up in Ithaca, New York, which is in upstate New York. Uh, Cornell University is there. It's a, it's a very liberal college town in upstate New York. My father uh, was a professor at a community college in the area, um, electrical engineering and my mom was also in the school system as an administrative assistant in the K-12 through program at, the, at our local public uh, school system. So education was always something that was instilled in me that was something very important, important to love and to just be good at. Right. And, and it was always like there was no question in my mind I was going to go to college. It wasn't one of those things where in high school, it's like, what do I want to do? Do I want to go to college or not? That was never even, and it wasn't something that my parents were pushing on me. It was just something I just knew I was going to do. Um, But when I was going to college, I didn't know what I wanted to study. I had the blinders on and said, I want to be a pediatric oncologist. I was very specific (laughs) at a very young age. I knew I wanted to work with kids and I wanted to work with kids who really, really needed help. And that's what, you know, that, that in my mind at that age, I was like, well, kids with cancer like i mean who doesn't need more help than that right and that's what i want to study and understand um but i was also really into performing arts so i loved tap dancing and singing and musical theater and i was always you know one of the stars in the high school productions and i loved it so i selected my school not only because it was a state program so it's a public college and my dad was able to help me pay for it but because i was able to also minor in musical theater so i was a bio pre-med major and then a musical theater minor um all the way throughout college and continued actually. I have and up until I got pregnant with my first child. And then I recently started tap dancing again, but I was actually in tap dancing companies. I performed at the Kennedy Center in DC. Wow. It's always been a huge part of who I am. Um but that's not what made me Dr. Haley. Um but while I was in college I was taking a lot of the biology courses and you know I was doing okay with them. I I mean, I wasn't a straight A student or anything. And I think mainly because I wasn't really that interested in like photosynthesis and a lot of the other types of biology until I learned about neurons. And I'm like, "Hmm, I want to learn more about this. And as an elective, I selected intro to psychology to be my social science instead of sociology Um, or social work or any of the other ones that I could have chosen. I chose psych and Literally, I mean, I wish there was like <laughs> put an emoji for like, I mean, I guess there is the brain exploding. I was I was mesmerized. I love the idea of I could study this object, the brain and how it can control so much. And um, it, the field of biological psychology was a perfect mix for me and it was a blend. And so I just gravitated towards those classes and I did some a little bit of research in my undergrad career. Um, but it was a small college. I didn't have that much experience and I knew I loved psychology and I knew I wanted to go on to graduate school, but I didn't really know exactly what field. So um, I after graduating from college, I moved home. I was lifeguarding and waitressing like a lot of <laughs> kids from college do. And I said, what am I doing? I could do this anywhere. And a couple of my girlfriends are saying, hey, we're moving to D.C. Come join us. We'll get a three bedroom apartment instead of a two bedroom. And I said, OK. And a week later, I was living in D.C. waitressing at a bar. And it happened to be uh, in an area where a lot of uh, federal employees were working. And one of, the, one of my patrons was saying, hey, I work at the National Institutes of Health. You should really look into doing research there as a post-baccalaureate scholar. And I didn't even know that that was something that I could do. So I researched it. I started making more connections. And after just a few months, I ended up um, as a research fellow with the National Institutes of Mental Health. Um, because I really thought I wanted to get into clinical psychology and do more of the therapy um, approach. Uh, but then I realized very quickly that I just didn't have the patience for being a counselor and a clinician <laughs> in that regard. I really, I didn't like waiting for people who were late. I was just like, I, I don't know. I think I, I would like working in an animal lab where they work on my schedule. I don't have to work on their. This is very, I mean, I'm being very honest here.
1: Oh, yeah, I get it.
0: And <laughs> so um, then I, met, I went up to Baltimore mm-hmm. to be uh, a research fellow with the Re- National Institutes on Drug Abuse, which is where I truly found my passion for behavioral neuroscience, where I was mm-hmm. able to administer different drugs and see exactly what they were doing to the brain and the neurocircuitry and how that was affecting behavior True. and be able to translate that to a human model, which led me to my PhD work at Johns Hopkins University studying motivated behaviors. Um, and my PhD is in psychological and brain sciences
1: from from Johns Hopkins.
0: So that's how I became a doctor. It's not necessarily how I am where I am now, but that's how I became a doctor.
1: Okay. So, all right. So now we know how you became doctor and you have been a professor for how long? Ugh.
0: I started teaching in graduate school. So that was yeah. part of, I was able to um, earned my PhD without paying a penny. Um, They Mm -hmm. paid for me, actually gave me a stipend so that I could teach. So I honed my teaching skills at a very early age there. Um, So I started teaching uh, on my own at Johns Hopkins. So starting in 2000, probably 2005, 2006 is when I had my first class. It was all on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after I finished my PhD work, I thought, I've been in school since I was four. I was doing something in regards to education at a very young age. Get me the A.G. double hockey sticks out of here, right? Get me out of here. I don't want to be in a classroom anymore. I can't pick up another book. I I just, I, I don't want to be in academia anymore. And so that's what actually brought me up to Philadelphia. I was working at an engineering firm as a human factors consultant. Um, so basically training to be an expert testifier for litigation. Oh. And um, it was fascinating work. And it paid well, right. But i I there was a part of me that was missing. And it was that love of performing, as well as that love of the hard science and being able to meld them together as a professor. I get to stand in front of people every single day and perform. Mm -hmm. while also educating. And, you know, I have actually tap danced to my students a couple times when they're Uh sleeping. I'll just bring them. (laughs) Um, But so while I was there, the University of Pennsylvania was looking for some faculty members. So I actually went over to the University of Pennsylvania and was faculty there for three months. Sorry, not three months, three years um, in their biological basis of behavior program. So teaching a variety of neuroscience courses there um, at an Ivy League institution. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what am I, little old me from Ithaca, New York? Here I am in the big leagues. And it was, it was, I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. Like I didn't think I belonged, but I really honed my craft there. And then when uh, a tenure position opened up at a local community college and talk about full circle, my dad was a community college professor. Yeah. And here's a tenure track position in my area. I don't even have to move. And I applied and I got in. And so I've been, at my community college for six years now going on seven i'm tenured um so i've got the the you know the the dream job i love it i i get to have a really good work-life balance i'm in the psychology program and i teach a lot of the psychopharmacology as well as biological psychology courses Hmm. so i get a lot of students who are interested in the neurosciences but don't really understand exactly what that means and what it entails and how they can create a career out of it so um I've really, I've honed my skills with teaching. So long story short, decades I've been teaching um, and it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. There's nothing else that I would want to do with my life professionally. I love educating. That's my passion.
1: Okay. All right. So let me ask you this. It's probably more of a, it's a base type question. And that is, you told us what neuroscience is earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. I know from our earlier interactions, something that is a passion of yours is to take this this term, neuroscience, and make it not so scary mm-hmm. to people. Make it so that the everyday person feels like they can approach the subject matter and feel like, okay, I at least have a basic, solid foundation of knowledge to know what's going on with that and potentially what to do with it. So... How do you do that? How how can you take something that is so, for the most part, it's kind of scary for most of us because we don't really know what it is and not only help us know what it is, but what to do with it.
0: Yeah. So, and, and I get that a lot. I have a lot of my students and clients and a lot of people say, yeah, the brain is cool, but come on, I, I'm not going to understand any of that jargon. I mean, it's, <laughs> most of the words are Latin or Greek, which is true, <laughs> It is. It is. And and the thing is, is as a neuroscientist with a PhD from Johns Hopkins, there are brain areas and terms that even I can't pronounce. And that's okay, Right. (laughs) I'm a real person. And so this idea of how can I make neuroscience approachable? I'm approachable. So come talk to me and I can have these really heady intellectual conversations with actual people or with scientific articles Mm -hmm. and understand it, but then use my skills of being an educator for so long, be able to break that down into bite-sized pieces that are manageable and, you know, use terminology that the average person can actually understand. So then once you understand what that jargon is that you're reading or seeing or hearing about on TV or in books, or whatever, that is inherently fascinating. You just get scared of it because you can't pronounce it or you don't, you can't read it or you don't understand it or you don't. I mean, there are a lot of neuroscientists, trust me, I know that I don't even want to come up and ask questions to. Mm. So I can imagine somebody who's not a neuroscientist would be, no, I don't need to ask those questions. Just somebody tell me what I need to know. So my goal and passion is really to be that person, to really go between, be that translator for people who are passionate, want to understand the power of the brain so that I can then in turn empower other people with that knowledge so they can help other people. So... That's why I love working with wellness professionals and coaches who, you know, they might be working with somebody who is struggling with habits and motivation to get up and do things and, you know, to to better their business or to be able to achieve their goals that they want. And they might tell them something like, oh, let's work on your affirmations or gratitude or let's have some visualizations. And then I can come in and say, hey, this is how it's actually working in your brain. There's actual science behind these methods. Let me teach you and I'll teach the coaches so that they can in turn, feel empowered to say, no, this, this isn't just a practice. This is something that is actually grounded in science and this is how it works and use that to help their clients who might be searching for something like that. I'm a big skeptic. So when somebody tells me to try to do something, I want to see the data. I want to see, okay, I will do that, but show me that it's actually effective. And I know most people are not like me, but if I exist, I'm sure there are other people who exist. So that's where I want to help those coaches and wellness professionals who find people like me who were kind of struggling to say, no, I'm not going to do your method. Show me the, show me the, show me the data, show me that it's actually going to work before I put any effort into it. And then now they'll have that in their back pocket. So another tool in their tool belt to help other people. Okay.
1: Well, let's dig a little deeper into one of the things that you mentioned there, that whole idea of gratitude, because that's, that is something as a coach that I have used with people frequently is talking about developing a habit of expressing gratitude so help not just me but help those who are listening and watching to be able to understand all right so what is the neuroscience behind gratitude that Ed, that way you can give us more of a three-dimensional view of it will
0: yeah so when you're talking about things I'm gonna almost bundle affirmations and gratitude and visualization okay. all together in a package right because I, I really do see them working synergistically. Um, And once you develop a habit, right? So I can go through the whole neuroscience of how best to develop habits and learning and all of that, which is a whole nother story. But once you've actually developed this habit, that means that you've practiced it many times that it's become a repetition. And if you've ever heard of the term that you use it or lose it, right? And so what happens in our brain, we create these meaningful connections. The more we do something, the more we think about something, the more that we act on our thoughts or feelings or whatever, the more we actually engage in these behaviors or thoughts, the stronger those connections are going to be between those neurons and those areas of our brain. And the stronger those connections are, the more automatic they become. So if you start practicing gratitude and waking, I like to do my gratitude in the morning. Other people like to do it in the evening, right? It's, it, whatever floats your boat, right? Um, but having that become habitual and a practice, that now all of a sudden your thoughts are going to become automatic when something negative happens to you, right? Because it's bound to happen life automatically the, the the connections that are there through neuroplasticity, they've been created to automatically go in that more gratitude and positive affirmations. And these, I love using the idea of visualizations that your brain can't distinguish between the imagery that you've created and actual reality. If your visualizations are strong enough and you've done them enough so that when you have these visualizations, you're, you're thinking about how it's going to feel, how you're going to feel, with the tastes and the sounds and the smells and everything you've experienced that in your head so many times that when those negative stressors or anything else in your life comes your way, you already know what to do because you've already been there. You've already owned that private island and have your own yacht. You already are acting. You've you've already experienced that. The connections are already there in your brain. So you just emulate that person that you want to become. And you can do it through gratitude, through affirmations, through visuals. Those are just some tools to use. But all of it really stems from this idea of the more you practice something, the more habitual it becomes, the easier it is. It's the path of least resistance for your brain to say, hey, this is how I'm going to handle this challenge it's, I'm still grateful that I'm not in a hospital, right? Like it's something horrible might've happened, but you know what? I have X, Y, and Z I'm loved. And I, and I have, you know, my degree and a home and a house over my head. And I'm very grateful for those things. Right. And it automatic. those are your thoughts. And if those are your thoughts, that's going to lead to your behaviors, your actions and future thoughts and how other people are going to interact with you as well. It just becomes automatic.
1: Oh, that is we could talk for a very long time just about the thing you mentioned. So we won't, but... Uh, <laughs> Another time. <laughs> but but we could, but we could. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's pretty interesting. One of the things that, that I talk to people all the time about, and this is part of my fascination with the brain, is creating new neural pathways. That's something I love to do. And I would love for you to talk a little further about that, about ways that we can do that and reasons why we should do
0: that. So... We have bad habits. We all do, right? These are things that we've learned as children and as we've explored our world. And the way that we learn is through reinforcement, right? One of the ways that we learn Mm -hmm. is through reinforcement that we have created these associations with objects or people or feelings in our environment and things that are reinforced probably had a reward associated with it, right? So we've learned these things throughout our life and sometimes we create these habits that protect us from receiving negative type emotions or feelings or punishment. Right. So that would be considered. So if we continue to reinforce behaviors that, you know, either way you're trying to remove some kind of negative stimulus Mm -hmm. or something that's not desired, that's known as negative reinforcement. So by encouraging behaviors to avoid that unrewarded, undesired outcome. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so What you want to do some, and and that can actually be used for a good thing too, by the way. I'm not saying negative reinforcement leads to bad behaviors. Either positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement can lead to good or bad habits or behaviors are behaviors, good, bad, or ugly, right? But sometimes we create these bad habits and we want to create new ones. Like let's say you want to I don't know, start running a marathon. You can't just wake up one day and start doing it. You have to take these baby steps and use the same tools that you use to be able to get into the bad habits of eating the chocolate cake and the not working out and whatever. And you start small and you say, okay, well, you know what? Just five minutes a day. Let me just practice stretching for five minutes, right? And then the next day you build on. And so it's your habit stacking. You're building on these things. And each time you're getting a little bit of a dopamine rush, you're getting some more reward and reinforcement to encourage that behavior and again the more you do things the stronger those connections are going to be in your brain and they become habitual over time which leads to neuroplasticity these new connections creating these new connections in your brain and we can ramp this up we can do this anytime you introduce some kind of novel stimulus or novel environment so that's why traveling is a great way to learn a new language right immerse yourself with the language and the culture and It's a new environment and everything is new. Your brain is going to be like, oh my gosh, this is all new stimuli. I really need to pay attention. And you're grabbing everything more so than just sitting in your room with headphones on. And this, you know, you're not, it's not a new environment. So novelty is a great way to boost that neuroplasticity. Another thing is aerobic exercise, believe it or not. Regardless of if the example is you want to run a marathon or not, you could be wanting to uh, get that new job promotion, whatever it is, right? Um, having that added uh, oxygenated blood going to your brain on a pretty regular basis actually stimulates what's known as BDNF, which stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor. I know you'll never have to say that again, but it can stimulate the release of this. this uh, uh, For otherwise, you know, for all intents and purposes, a chemical, a, a, it's like a hormone that it's a neurotropic factor that is going to stimulate neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. So creation of new neurons and new connections. Um, So that can facilitate it as well as having emotion tied to whatever you're doing. Emotional stimuli can really ramp up this neuroplasticity um, because we as humans have evolved through millions and millions of years of evolution to be able to have emotions, right? There's a reason we are different from a lot of our our ancestors and I'm not talking about human ancestors, but other vertebrate ancestors, because we have this really developed sense of emotions and protection and feelings of belongingness, and all of these things can be really motivating, driving forces. And so our nervous system is set up in a way to really kind of highlight those things. And so if you can tie emotion and meaning to what you're doing, understanding that I'm sure you work with people all the time, and what's your why? Why are you doing this? Be really clear on that and have that emotion tied to it so that when you're waking up and stretching and doing whatever it is that you're doing, there's a meaning and an emotion tied to that mundane routine that that is going to make the neuroplasticity actually uh, stronger and, and, and more likely to occur so that you can create those better habits.
1: Sure. You know, another thing that I talk to people all the time about when I'm speaking specifically about uh, creating new neural pathways in the brain, I just say, look, I don't know what your history is and your family, but, you know, things, you know, like Alzheimer's and dementia, and it affects a lot of people. It's like, so whether you think that's going to be in your future or not, there are things you can do now to work on your brain, to make it better, make it healthier and to do things. And I, I tell people all the time. The things that you do on a regular basis that you don't even have to think about, and I'm not talking about like breathing and that sort of thing, but I'm just talking about things that we do, do it just a little different. Yeah, just a little bit different. It's like, if you have a certain way you go home every day, take a different route home. If you have, if you run outside, so we were using that analogy earlier, you know, take a different way that you run or do it in a slightly different cadence or something like that. Because that creates new neural pathways and that's good for our brains and Mm -hmm. am i right (laughs) you are right make sure i'm telling people the right thing so i'm i'm asking the expert
0: (laughs) yeah no it becomes automatic and sometimes you miss a lot of the meaning behind why you're doing it when it's just something that you do we don't really think about brushing our teeth Mm -hmm. right but if you get a new toothbrush like one of those fancy ones that spins and now all of a sudden you're like oh this feels really good on my teeth and then when that starts getting old maybe you know Try using your left hand to brush your teeth, you know, just try doing different things or, you know, just changing things up a little bit can really help keep those habits going and being more reinforced and then strengthening those connections. Absolutely. And, you know, whether or not it prevents Also, I mean, there's lots of other research, again. Um, aerobic exercise, getting that oxygenated Mm. blood regularly to your brain that has been shown to actually support the hippocampus, um, which is the area that is, that does degenerate with uh, Alzheimer's, for example. So aerobic exercise, social, being social around other people, obviously that's hard nowadays, but do things like Zoom and, you know, Clubhouse and things like that, where we can be around other people create new connections can also be very beneficial. And I'm a huge proponent of our nutrition and what we're doing to help create a less of an inflammation throughout our general body. But there's a lot of research looking at that connection between the gut and brain. And that was something that I wasn't taught in school. That was something I discovered through my own personal health journey. And I was, you know, struggling with some problems. And then all I wanted to do was lose weight. And I thankfully went to a program where I was focusing on clean eating and not looking at the scale. And I was just looking at the foods and what I'm actually putting in my body. And not only did I lose the weight, right, and able to keep it off, but I was able, I just noticed mental clarity and a lot of my anxiety symptoms were subsiding. And there were just all of these things. I said, like, wait a second, I'm a neuroscientist. How how was I not taught this stuff? And then so I started on my own, really trying to figure out what the heck just happened to me and how can I continue to do this? And then that is something that I do also work with people on to help them figure out those things to really harness the power of their brain and and have it function optimally. And you can do that through a variety of different ways, behaviorally, thoughts, as well as nutrition.
1: Okay. Well, let's go down that rabbit hole for just a minute. Oh, no. <laughs> that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's a good one, though, because uh, mm-hmm. that's something that that folks who have listened to this particular podcast or watched it either, either one, they know that I'm a very big proponent of that, that your physical health starts with what you choose to put in your mouth or don't put in your mouth. Um, I'm not one to sit here and tell people what they're supposed to do. That's not my job. My job is to present information to folks and allow them to make up their own minds. But I do know that there's so much of what is available to us to eat. I mean, just walk in your grocery store, your local grocery store. (laughs) The things that are good for you, that it really truly are, you'll always find on the outsides, the vast majority of what's in the middle, don't buy it. It's all prepackaged stuff. It's all terrible for you. The stuff that you want, and it's not everything that's on the outsides, but that's pretty much where they keep it. Mm-hmm.
0: So- and it can be very overwhelming too. So when mm-hmm. I started my health journey, I mean, I was and I still have my moments. Right. I love to watch football and have my pizza and wings that, you know, like I still have my and a beer and why whatever. Right. I still have my my vices. But now I understand what's going to happen as a consequence to those actions, And it's not a regular thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But. I was terrified of doing these types of things because not only is it so confusing what's quote unquote good for you and what's bad for you, but right. then there's all these mixed messages with these programs and diets and, oh, yeah. you know, just marketing campaigns and, pl- and it's and then reading labels. My goodness, that's, <laughs> that's a challenge in and of itself. So yeah, it is. I was a busy working mom and I didn't have time or energy to sit and look at the the labels and do all of that. And so I fortunately found a program that simplified it for me. That made it very easy to create these new habits that turned into a lifestyle change. And for me, that worked. Right. But yeah. um, now I'm able to learn different ways that I can cook my meals. And then if I don't have time to cook my meals, what's a healthier alternative to just going down to the food truck and getting a hot dog and fries like I would have done? Right. Like what's a, what's a healthier, quick meal that I can do that I can just grab and go? And have the energy and the nutrients. Is it ideal? No, but it's so much better than the alternative. And so I try to keep it real because I'm a real person and I know that we can't all eat raw and you know, some it's not in everybody's budget to eat only organic and you know, really know where your farmers are from and you know what you're sourcing everything. And so finding companies and brands and things like that that I know that I can trust, I help I like to be able to help guide people, you know, that I've discovered and then help guide people along that if that's what they also want to do. So for sure it's like huge and what works for me might not work for the next person right right and what and and there are that's why there are so many different programs out there because they've been successful for certain people and so finding the person that can help guide you and the programs that work for you and the foods that work for you and foods that don't and drinks that do and don't and all of those things it's important to be okay maybe not having success in the first round and just trying it again and and keep going and figuring out what the definition of success is for you Is it based on a scale? Is it based on your numbers at the doctor? Um, Is it based on how you emotionally feel? Is it based on how you look? All of these different things. Figuring it out for yourself, what is success, and then figuring out how how's the best way that works with your lifestyle uh, to to help you get there.
1: Oh, for sure, and those certainly can change over time.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. As you change, as you age, your brain ages, your skin ages, your metabolism changes. All of these things. And some, and your hormones change. You have to be able to fluctuate and be flexible with that. Um, yeah, so it, it's a it's a fascinating field, and really uh, harnessing the, the, This I can't stress enough that gut brain connection and really lowering your inflammation throughout your body and finding good way to introduce probiotics and good f- healthy prebiotic fibers into your life, whether it's through foods and or supplements. I mean, I much prefer people be able to eat that, right? right. But if right. you can't. There are supplements to help you along the way and things like that, but there's so much benefit to that, even just as a neuroscientist, understanding the power of really taking care of that gut microbiome to
1: help fuel your brain. For sure. You know, folks, one of the things that, that it helps me understand it, and it, maybe it's just it, in certain respects, this is how my simple mind works, but two things. First of all, Dr. Haley, you were talking about reading ingredients. This is, a, this is something I told my kids years ago and I, I still use it today. If you can't pronounce it, don't put it in your mouth. That's the first thing. Second thing is the best foods for you to eat have one ingredient. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. you know. Now, obviously, we haven't gotten into the whole organic versus non-organic sort of thing, and that's a different discussion yeah. for a different day. But um, let me take a small time out here and say sure. that just to make it easier for folks because this has made it easier for me. If you can bite directly into it, Get organic. If you have to peel something away to eat to it, organic isn't necessary, like bananas. There isn't a whole lot of difference between what we term a regular banana and an organic banana. Again, because you're having to peel stuff away to get to what it is that you actually eat. But if you yeah. need to, if you bite directly into it, like a grape, going toward organic. And the thing is it's tricky
0: because a lot of it isn't as regulated as we think it is. So sometimes we're buying the word organic and we're still getting all those pesticides and chemicals through runoff and through I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very very tricky, and there's I, I you know if you're able to see where it comes from and buy local, yes, you know that's that's another really big thing. Even if it's not termed organic, if you know the farmer and you know the conditions in which they're grown, you're probably better off than buying some organic thing from some Green. farm where you have no idea where it is. It's mass produced and packaged and, and all of that. So um, it, sure. it's tricky. It really really is tricky, and and yeah, that's why I. I found something that worked for me and I'm so blessed because now I don't have to think about it. That's not it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good. But
0: a lot of people think about food as just being their physical body. But you know what? Our brain is part of our physical body and our brain controls our mind and our emotions and our actions and so much. So I think a lot of people forget about that, that, you know, our brain is an organ too. And so don't only think about, you know, the foods that we eat affecting our liver or our fat deposits. It's also affecting how our brain functions and our brain controls everything. It controls right. our heart rate and our breathing and everything that we do. So we also have to take care of that. And
1: food is one part of that. All right. So let's let's ask the next most obvious question. What are some good foods that are excellent for our brains? Oh, goodness.
0: There's so many. I think a lot of that is, so as I mentioned, the the inflammation, trying to avoid foods that or you are sensitive to. So for me, I discovered gluten was something that I was sensitive to. And so I really try to avoid gluten at all costs. Um, now, that's for me personally. Other people, it might be uh, dairy, right? Who knows, right? It, so try to figure out working with somebody to figure out what it is that causes inflammation in your body. That's one thing. But that would be more of like an elimination. Right. Um, foods that are great. I mean, there's so many brain boosters out there. Um, I, as a... <sighs> Oh, my goodness. I'm just trying to think of like supplement type drinks that I have. I love CoQ10 um, as something that's not something that you would naturally necessarily get from foods that you would eat. But that's a great supplement um, and phosphatidylserine. But that you can get a lot of these things from like grapeseed extracts. and And mm-hmm. there's so many. I mean, pomegranate is great. And I, I love things that typically have a low glycemic index as well, because yes, I don't yes. like that blood uh, sugar, the sugar um, spike to happen. So, you know, if you have to choose between a green apple or a red apple, I pick a green apple because I know it likely has a lower glycemic index, things like that. Berries. I love all the antioxidants and berries, Um, you know, fruits and vegetables can't go wrong. You get the fiber, you get the antioxidants. It's all fantastic for your gut health and your brain, Um, you know, but you do need fat. And you need sugar. You just don't want that processed sugar, right? But, <laughs> you But it right. could be at a manageable level because your brain needs those things to be able to function properly. B vitamins, anything with a lot of B vitamins are fantastic for brain health mm-hmm. and, and cognitive support and energy as well. So um, there's a lot of foods out there that have that. Um, and then, you know, as well as supplements. But again, I would rather people get it naturally from the foods that they're eating. But sometimes it's it's hard to get that variety. And so there are supplements out there that can help support
1: you. Okay. Be well with Dr. Haley. Yes. So besides the fact that you are a professor, yes. you decided, hey, I need to add something else to my life. I know, right? <laughs> I, need to, I need to start my own business. Tell us about Be Well with Dr. Haley.
0: So it was something that just kind of... It, it almost started out of necessity. So uh last year, my husband lost his job and, and it was a result of the pandemic and just a lot of things were going on. And so we sat down as a family and said, well, what do we want? And he's the diversity. he was like, I can't work for another person. Like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And so he was going down the rabbit hole of figuring out what kind of business he wanted to start. And oh. I'm watching him and, and, you know, having these conversations with them, And I'm like, wait a second, I kind of want to do this too. And <laughs> so I started thinking about it and planning. And I said, well, what are my superpowers? What are my God-given gifts? And I said, first, my gift of gab. I love talking, clearly. <laughs> but also this idea that, I, that people feel comfortable coming and talking to me about anything, whether I'm an expert in it or not. I, people have told me like, you're very approachable. I want to just like ask you questions or I just want you to listen and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that and get my advice um and the fact that i do know a lot about the brain and have years and years and years of experience teaching it why not be able to open up these skills to people other than just people who are enrolled in my college right right now i'm teaching to my college students who are enrolled in, in my classes and and also for the past several years i've also been hired by other firms to teach courses for continuing education mm-hmm. for therapists and counselors I'm um, social workers, things, people like that. And so I decided, like, okay, so they have a need for hearing me be able to take these complex, heady concepts and be able to translate it so that they can help their clients and patients' lives. Why not open this up and create my own business where people can come to me and do that? They can do that on an individual basis, in a group basis. I frequently go into organizations and businesses for professional development, things like that. Um, and and coaches and and wellness professionals who might not need the actual CEUs but they like knowing that it is actually an accredited course that is worth CEUs through some organized organizations or organizing body um and be able to work with people like that who then in turn can take this knowledge and feel empowered with actually understanding some of these really heady concepts mm-hmm. and be able to use that to help their patients their clients their students their employees, whoever it is that they're trying to, to serve. So that's where Be Well with Dr. Haley kind of came about was hey, use me as a resource. You want individual consultations? Do you want to talk about your gut health? Do you want to talk about, you know, different techniques and tricks to help with your parent or loved one? But more than that, I'm really focusing on helping people who help others. Okay. So as an educator, as a teacher helping these people who in turn can help their clients and patients and students as well. So there's a lot going on. I have live seminars coming up um, as well as I'm in the midst of working on a book actually uh, with somebody who I met on clubhouse um, Mm -hmm. about the habit, habit connection, what we were kind of talking about now and really breaking it down um, you know, the neuroscience behind it, as well as some of the more like, she's a a hypnotherapist and talk more about like the inner child healing and stuff like that um, to Mm -hmm. kind of, combine the two worlds together uh, to make sense of it um, and um, working on a self-study course, a certificate program through Be well with Dr. Haley where practitioners can come and take these self-paced courses and you know I'm, I'm working on that to be able to offer that to more people. So that's coming soon. so definitely keep an eye on my website, follow me um, get on my mailing list so you'll know when these courses are offered and and all of that so you can stay in the loop.
1: okay. very good. All right now let's transition. For a moment into the relationship side of things, because after all, this particular podcast is called Relationships and Revenue. Yeah. And we've kind of done that a little bit prior to this. But, you know, one of the things that we emphasize a lot on this show is relationships and how important they are. First and foremost, for the ones that we consider to be most significant, and for most people, their most significant relationships are the personal ones. It typically it's their family, but not exclusively. It can be with clients, close friends, that sort of thing, whoever we deem as a significant part of our lives, that's a significant relationship. So my question to you is, what are you doing right now to improve your most significant relationships and what impact do those relationships have on your business?
0: Mm, I think go hand in hand they really do so my most important relationships for me are my family um my children once i became a mother my whole world changed and and i've read about it in books and i even understood the neuroscience behind it with all these different maternal hormones when they're released and the oxytocin and the maternal bond i knew it was going to happen mm. but oh my gosh when it did my whole world changed everything changed my perception everything changed and my kids are my number 1 Almost to a false, (laughs) right? Sometimes I put their needs before mine, which I think this is common. That is something that I I am working on, taking care of myself more. Um, But how they work hand in hand is I have embraced the power of saying no. Saying no to things because I'm getting, and not to my kids necessarily, although yes, I do say no to them a lot as well. But saying no to when people are asking me to do things that aren't necessarily fueling my true authentic self, right? So if if the the most important hat that I wear is as a mother and a wife, and then I have all the other hats that I wear as a professor and a business owner and everything else, if, if I'm being asked to do something that is not allowing me to thrive in the things that I truly value and that are most important to me, then I have learned that saying no is okay. And I feel like a lot of my Trajectory getting to where I am here, I was a yes girl, right? It was as I was studying to become a professor and get my doctorate, people would ask, Hey, can you teach this class? Yes. Can you do this? Can you write this review? Can you do this? Yes. 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 And because I'm just trying to please everybody. But in doing so, I was not serving myself so that I couldn't show up as being. And at that time, I wasn't a mother, but You know, I couldn't be the best version of myself and I need to be the best version of myself so I can be the best mother to my kids, the best wife to my husband, the best professor to my students and the best business owner that I can be. Right. And so I think one of the best things that I've learned over the past few years is the power of saying no. And I think that it really is one of the best forms of self You know, self-care is being able to understand the value uh, and the power behind your voice and say no when it doesn't serve you. And and not to be selfish, right? Obviously, I say yes to a lot of things, but, you know, really knowing who I am so that I can feel okay saying no. I'm not missing out on anything, right? If I'm closing one door, how many other doors are now open because of that one door was
1: closed? Oh, for sure. You know, the way I say it is, if, first of all, if you don't know your why, if you don't know your purpose, you have no reason to say no because you always deal with, you know, FOMO. If you don't have your why, you are always dealing with that. When we know those things about ourselves, when I know what it is I'm supposed to do and why I'm supposed to do it, it allows me, I have permission to say no to good things so I can say yes to the best thing. And I don't have to explain to other people why. Because honestly, it's none of their business. Yeah. If I choose to tell them, that's fine. But they don't have to know. If I say no, I'm saying no. And that's enough. That that it, I still struggle with this. It, it, it,
0: this is something is, that I'm working on. And mm-hmm. I'm really appreciating it. And I think other people are appreciative too. They would rather me say no, not now, than say yes and then do a poor job at it. Right? And so I... I and that's something that I'm also starting to just realize as well, that it's a blessing to other people when I say no, when I really can't give my all. And um, it, it's it's challenge, but I'm working on it. I'm more, everybody's a work in progress. We all have room for growth and more neuroplasticity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Well, Dr. Haley, we're getting close to wrap up time here. So one of the last few questions I have for you is this. How can people connect with you?
0: So yeah, the best and easiest way is through my website. Um, I have a contact me form on there. That's really super simple. um, And I will reach back out personally. Uh, So my website is bewellwithdrhaley.com. And that's Haley with two Ys, (laughs) H-A-Y-L-E-Y. And uh, yeah, and actually on my website, you can sign up. I have a free course right now that you can download and get sent to your email. Um, and you'll be able to see about any of my upcoming seminars and courses and, and opportunities to connect with me there. Um, I'm also very active on Clubhouse, and I just downloaded the Wisdom app, and I'm very curious about that. So you might be able to see me on Wisdom as well. Um, and Instagram, I'm at Dr. Haley N. And Facebook, uh, at Be Well with Dr. Haley as well. Uh, and, and of course, on LinkedIn. Of course I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> 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 That's also Be Well with Dr. Haley. So yes, I am on social media. Um, it's not my uh, my forte, so to speak, but you can find me, you can connect with me and um, Haley at BeWell with Dr. Haley.com is my email. But it's all, it's all located on my website.
1: Okay, perfect. Now let's say that one of the listeners or viewers is like, okay, I've heard enough. I have got to connect with Dr. Haley. They decide they want to connect with you but they want to take it a step further. They want to work directly with you. What's that process like?
0: So I have a complimentary discovery call. Um, You can book a call on my website. That's free. Um, And it's really just to get to know each other so we can figure out what will work best for you um, for each individual need. Whether it's, you know, reviewing a document and explaining it or if it's being brought in to give a seminar or if it's uh, to do a big presentation or just a small gathering or working with me on for the nutritional counseling, whatever it is, just book a discovery call with me and we can get to know each other, make sure it's a good fit and we'll go from there. But there's many different ways in which you can work with me um, and you know, offering certifications and certificate programs through my coursework. Um, again, there's so many different options. I work with individuals as well as with groups. Um, so don't, I, I, I swear, I'm a real person and I'm very approachable. That's kind of my tag laughing, making neuroscience approachable. So just book a call with me and we'll we'll get to know each other and make sure that it's a good fit.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Let me ask you this question. And I ask most of my guests this question. What is your definition of success?
0: Mm, this changes and I think it should change. I think it should yes. change as you grow. Absolutely. Great. So my definition of success right now today is waking up feeling rested <laughs> and <laughs> I've accomplished something at the end of the day. So it's not that big right now. Um but that's also because I've got a lot going on personally. But um so my definition of success is honestly, staying true to myself, my true authentic self and not settling for less and Mm. really having my vision in line for who I am, but then also who I want to be and um, make sure that's in line with my core values of being a good mother and a good wife and and have my strong faith as well and not steer from that direction, because that is who I have discovered that I am Mm. through all these years. And I don't want to you know, have this idea of success be something that's not true to those values. A lot of times I can get swayed. It's like, oh, but that's a lot of money. I could get paid a lot to do that. But is it really bringing value to my core beliefs? And if not, then success is not defined by money. Of course, money helps. And it can allow me to give back to the community and charities and things like that. Um, So again, I think a lot of it is just being true to myself so that I can show up. As the best version of myself for my kids and for my husband and for my business and my students.
1: Okay, great. And now we're coming to our final four. Oh no, <laughs> <I'm> nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. I promise it's super easy. Uh, just four quick questions. Tell me the first thing that pops in your head. All right, here's the first one. Why did God create Dr. Haley to teach? See, that wasn't hard. What? Not too hard. It was the first thing that came up. Okay. Well, good, good. All right. Second question. What are you doing? Reading or listening to right now that's helping you grow.
0: I, 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 honestly, the first thing that popped in my mind is not helping me grow, so that's why I'm not thinking it out. Well. <laughs> that, it's definitely a distractor. Um, but what's really helping me is having these really meaningful conversations with people like yourself. So whether it's connections that I'm meeting on Clubhouse and. It's challenging me to think about things and phrase things differently so that it's making me think and me grow. So it's it's not necessarily what I'm reading or watching. It's more of the conversations and the actions that I'm taking and having. Okay. Is that an, Okay.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> it's not a book. It's not something somebody can go buy. It's just having these connections and speaking and, and learning and growing from each other. Okay.
1: Excellent. What do you like to do for fun?
0: I... I love to be silly and dance and put some fun music on and my kids and I will have a dance party in the kitchen and I'm wearing my sweats and my hair is up in a mess. And I just I love that. I love getting goofy and silly with my kids. Okay, okay.
1: And the final question, what are you most grateful for?
0: (sighs) What am I most grateful for? I am grateful for my family that I have now, but then also in my past, uh, the 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 security and the love that I always felt growing up as a child has been so impactful, and it's something that I definitely want to impart that feeling on my kids. That I know that I have been able to do, so that is something that I'm I am successful at. Um, and so that I'm grateful for my family, both what I've created, my family I've created, but also the family that I uh, was brought here on Earth to be with.
1: Excellent. Well, listen, Dr. Haley, thank you so much for your time today. I certainly appreciate that. It means a lot that you chose to spend some time with all of us in sharing a small part of your vast knowledge when it comes to this area of neuroscience. And I hope that others like myself feel like we've gained from you today.
0: I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Don. It was a pleasure chatting with you as always. And I hope your listeners enjoyed it as well. It was so much fun. Anyway,
1: well, for those of you watching and or listening, thank you for your time today because that is something that I highly value and treasure and I want you to know I don't take it lightly because I know it is your most precious resource and it is not renewable so once again thanks for being here today and we'll talk to you guys next time bye everybody bye thanks for listening to relationships and revenue I'd love to get your thoughts on the show two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening, and remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.